Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. If you'd like to, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll get a word from our sponsor this morning. But, uh, you know, I'm not an expert by any means. I'm not the brightest bulb on the porch. But I was in Home Depot this past week. It's one of my favorite stores. And uh, I'm planning a project in the future here, and I'm looking at the plywood. And I'm like, Where's, there used to be plywood that was 24 bucks, and it was right on the end cap. And so I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I go through, and... And I get done, and I look at the pro desk, and I say, well, I go, hey, wasn't, isn't there plywood for like 24 bucks around here? You know, the stuff that everybody uses on, on all the roofs and on the side of the houses. And, and he goes, well, look. I, I, yeah, we did used to have that. And he looked, and he goes, you know, I think it's this stuff right here. Matter of fact, I know it's this stuff right here that is now $49 per sheet. He said, yeah, you know, two weeks ago it was $24.99. Huh. So, you know, I I looked up hyperinflation because uh, this administration barely can get the word out of their mouth as far as inflation. Hyperinflation is a term to describe rapid, excessive, and out-of-control general price increases in an economy. While inflation is a measure of the pace of rising prices for goods and services, hyperinflation is rapidly rising inflation, typically measuring more than 50% per month. So I don't think we're in hyperinflation, but I think we're getting very close. Uh, I like fruit salad, and so uh, Claudia was going to pick some up the other day, but she looked at the can and she said, I'm not buying this for him. (laughs) The can used to be 70 cents. Now it was two forty. So you know, I, again, I'm not the brightest bulb on the porch. I'm not trying to cause mass hysteria, any of that nonsense. But guys, we have to be real about what's going on. Because if we're not real, then the people that are really hurting, we're not going to be able to minister to them because we're not going to have compassion for them. When was the last time Biden pumped gas into a car? So they're out of touch with reality. We are living in the reality. And this reality is touching Democrats, Republicans, communists, atheists. It's touching them all. And so we have an open door for evangelism. Instead of just complaining along with everybody, we can say, well, you know, this is probably Revelation chapter 13. You mean we're in the tribulation? Uh, No, but it's conditioning to get us, uh, not us, the church, but to get humanity ready for the tribulation. Um, conditioning, 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 fear and control, fear and control, fear and control. And so, if you don't know what I'm talking about, read Revelation chapter 13. Uh, It's prophesied there will be a one-world government, there will be a one-world economy, and there will be a one-world religion. And we are on the threshold of all of those things. Uh, Nobody can say, well, it'll be 100 years from now. No, it's not. Jesus said this generation, the generation that sees the regathering of Israel, May 14th, 1948, I personally believe it's from 67 when Jerusalem became the capital of Israel again. This generation shall not pass until I come back. So guys, we're in the last days. I know grandmas used to say it all the time. 
I'm going to keep saying it because Jesus tells us. So my job, part one of my jobs is to warn you, to warn others um, not to get caught up in what's going on, but to talk about it, to talk about it in a calm way and have them read Revelation chapter 13. I can guarantee you almost every single person has a Bible in their house. Have them read Revelation 13 and get ready because we are being conditioned. Well, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so again, if you're new or visiting, we're going verse by verse through the Bible. We're in very exciting days. And so let's uh, look at our text. I'm not going to read over it due to to time, but we're going to go through hopefully verses 12 through 28. 12 through 28. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. And we're just going to continue to worship you, Lord, by surrendering our hearts and our minds to your word. All these things that are happening around us, uh, it's grieving. It's so grieving to see what's happening to our country. But we know that you're God and that you have a plan and a purpose behind all of this. Even as we look back into the scriptures and we see how you called Israel to repentance, 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 repentance. And you finally took them off the land. Father, you have a plan for the last days. And if it's to bring us down as a country, your will be done. We are not going to be praying against your will. We just want to be in alignment with your will. No matter how grieving it may be, we want your perfect will to be done. So give us wisdom as we see that unfolding to minister to those around us who are living in fear, who are feeling the impacts of the rise of gas and food and housing. Rent is ridiculous. Father, help us to minister to people that you will be glorified in and through our conversations. And Lord, I pray for the gift of teaching this morning. Use your word in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if Christ is preached, now if, 1 Corinthians 15, 12, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you, notice Paul is writing to the church, and so there were some in the church How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. You see, we're working our way through the foundational truth of Christianity, one of the foundational truths, and that's the resurrection of the dead. And as we've seen, Paul has been rehearsing the evidence to the Corinthians that Jesus truly did rise from the dead. And somebody might ask us, well, where's the evidence of the resurrection? So as we study the word, and you should be reading from Genesis to Revelation, you're going to come across a lot of evidence. As well as we talked about last week, there's so much historical evidence, secular evidence. But we've been looking at the first piece of evidence was a transformation of their own lives. They had gone 
from a group of people who had no biblical standards, just flowing with the culture, doing whatever the culture was doing, to a church that was seeking after being right with God, righteousness. They were seeking after righteousness. And that basically just means being right with God. The second piece of evidence was how the Old Testament scriptures spoke of the death and resurrection of the Christ, the Messiah. The third piece of evidence was the overwhelming number of people who saw Jesus personally after his bodily resurrection. You can get the CDs from the last few weeks. The fourth piece of evidence was Paul's conversion. He went from a persecutor of the Christian church to a planter of many Christian churches. That is evidence of a transformed life. You see, we're going to see our fifth piece of evidence this morning, basic logic. Now, as I first read that, it probably sounded sound like a politician. It's basic logic, and that's what we're going to look at. You see, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then all the church leaders, including Jesus himself, are just a bunch of liars. So in verse 12, now if Christ has preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you, how do some of you believers, if they are believers, not everybody in the church is a believer, I know this morning, not everyone in here is a believer, we'd love for you to come to know Jesus as your savior, be the best decision you ever make, but most likely not everyone here is a believer, so maybe they were believers, maybe they weren't, maybe they were plants by the enemy, the enemy does plant people in churches to cause division, distraction, dissension. But at any rate, there were some in the church that were saying, there's no resurrection of the dead. (laughs) So here we see that battle of living in a culture. Guys, we're living in a culture, and the church is falling apart. Big C. Churches are closing. Pastors are leaving. Uh, It's amazing what's happening in America. And if you don't read and you don't do a little bit of study, You're just blindly going, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine in the church. Everything's fine in our society. Versus the living in the truth. What is the truth? And I know that's really hard to find these days. So we have to do a lot of digging and hopefully come up with some answers. We know the word of God is full of truth. So since he's already provided an abundance of physical evidence, Paul is going to use basic logic to confront some within the church about the resurrection. You know, a few weeks back, I mentioned about the various schools of thought that the Greeks had about life and death. And so we're just going to quickly go over those real quick. There are basically three. The Stoics believed that all of humanity was a part of the universe, and we must find our place in this universe. And some people will say that every human being is a child of God. You will not find that in the scriptures. Matter of fact, Jesus said we're a child of the devil. No, you have to become a Bible-believing Christian to become a child of God. So this philosophy is still out there today. Unfortunately, it's even creeped within the church. When we were born, we received a a small piece of divine fire, and when we die, that small piece of divine fire goes back to the collective bonfire of the universe. That was the Stoics. The Epicureans believed that we could find happiness by seeking things that brought physical and mental pleasure for today, for the here and now. One of the worst things that anyone could ever say is just do what your heart feels. And again, that's creeping into the church. Because tomorrow we die. 
They didn't believe in any life after death. Then there were the followers of Plato who believed in reincarnation, coming back over and over again until you got it right or what is termed you reached nirvana or that place of perfect peace of soul. So due to the culture that was a part of Corinth that the Corinthians were in, obviously, the believers had to debug the program. If you're new or visiting, our brain, I use this analogy, our brain's a hard drive. We've been coded. By the time you were 11 years old, you had 87% of your adult personality. The way you behave today was from the first 11 years of your life. That's just science. You might have to debug the program. So Paul just starts with basic argument with a simple question. Since we preach that Christ has been raised from the dead, why are some of you in the church saying there is no resurrection of the dead? Verses 13 and 14. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. So Paul starts to go into basic logic with point number one. No resurrection, then your faith is empty, pointless, and useless. Coming to church on a Sunday morning is pointless, it's useless. Why are you here? Some people might even ask you at your workplace, why do you go to church on Sunday morning? What do you get out of that? Well, hopefully you'll have an answer. Verses 15 and 16, yes, we we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. But if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. Again, logical point number two, if Jesus did not rise, then Paul, as well as all of the others he has already listed, are liars. Earlier on in 1 Corinthians 15, remember the list of those who saw Jesus? They're all just liars. So I belong to a religion that is headed up by a liar. Basic logic would tell us that if the witnesses are liars, the one who started the idea of the resurrection is a liar as well. We see this today. Jehovah Witness, Mormons, Islam, lies. Not bashing them. That's just reality. That would mean that Jesus is a liar as far as even Christianity. You see, when you study religions, the facts of Christianity line up with the central teaching. But the facts of other religions don't line up and are based upon feelings and falsehoods. How could Jesus be the spirit brother of Lucifer? You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. How is Jesus just a great prophet? The Quran. He's not God. He's definitely not the son of God. You won't find that in the Bible. You'll find just the opposite in the Bible. He is the son of God. So you want to evaluate, or you want to be reading your Bible from Genesis to Revelation so that when something false comes into your life, there's a little, hmm, check in your spirit. The Holy Spirit is giving you discernment. Something's not right about this. I I need to do a little further study. It sounds like modern day science as well, which I called last year political science. Now, for some reason, it's okay not to wear a mask in certain states. There are still other states, just had dinner with friends last night from Washington, that is still determined that they have to wear masks. Sometime in March, maybe April, they'll be able to take their masks off. It's not scientific. Just depends who's in charge. Shouldn't work that way, but the last two years clearly show us that is how modern science is working. 
So this is the basic logic that I use with those who come to a memorial service. Either Jesus is telling the truth or he is a liar. And I didn't come up with this. Someone else came up with this. But I always ask this question. What do you believe about Jesus? Is he a liar and a lunatic or is he Lord? If you're here today and you're an unbeliever, this is the basic question you have to ask yourself. Jesus, because he's the one that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. So Jesus is either a liar and a lunatic because he thinks the universe revolves around him, which it does, or he is Lord. Just those two choices. And don't wait till you die to find that, figure that out because you're not going to get a second chance. It's appointed unto mankind once to die and then the judgment. Verse 17, 1 Corinthians 15, 17, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, have perished. When you look up that word perished, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, so that whosoever believeth him shall not perish. One of the definitions is basically eternal separation from God. If there's no resurrection, then there's no God. Well, then you'll just maybe go into like Jehovah Witnesses teach into nothingness. Just nothingness. Just when you die, if you're not a Jehovah Witness, if you don't belong to their faith, then you just go into nothingness. You don't think anything. You don't know anything. Just nothingness. Black hole. Hmm. Interesting. Not true, but... So here we see the logical point number three. No resurrection, no acceptable sacrifice. You're still sinners in need of a Savior. And with that type of belief system, then those who have passed on before them in the Christian faith have perished. They've been eternally separated from God. Or they just went into a black hole. If this life, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, could you imagine right now if this was our only hope? If I didn't know Jesus right now, you guys would not want to be around me. You would not want to be around me. I'd be locked and loaded, storing, a fouled mouth, Oh, man, I'd be threatening people. That's my old nature. I know who I was. You know who you were. Maybe you weren't like that. Maybe you were. Maybe you'd be worse than me. You probably would be worse than me, some of you. That's just reality. Don't, don't kid yourself sitting there. Well, why am I sitting here with this guy? This guy's a nut. Without Christ, you would be a nut right now. Suicide is up. Crime is up. Well, no, it's not. Hello? Can you imagine when the Holy Spirit gets removed in the rapture? Well, the church is removed. The Holy Spirit's still going to be doing work here. But when the church is removed in the rapture right now, the church is constraining a little bit of evil, thank God. Verse 19, if this life only we have no hope in Christ, we are of men the most pitiable. Which if this is the only life that we have to live or look forward to, then we should really feel sorry for one another because we're just living in a dream. It's all just a dream that will turn into a nightmare in the end. Verse 20, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, of those who have died. So now after building his case on logic, Paul moves from the logical to the theological. So it's okay to talk about logic, but then move it into the theological. He shows them the emptiness of not believing in the resurrection and then reaffirms the resurrection by using another piece of evidence that is found in the Old Testament. So again, I I encourage you to be reading your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. This past week, we just actually looked through the feast, again, in Deuteronomy. So study it, read it. 
It's very applicable. There are seven feasts listed in Leviticus chapter 23. There are four feasts to be celebrated in the spring and three to be celebrated in the fall. I personally believe the rapture is going to come in the fall. Jesus has fulfilled the the spring feast. He has not fulfilled the fall feast. God being a God of consistency, I think Jesus is going to fulfill the fall feast. And the first feast in the fall is the feast of trumpets. Hmm, just a coincidence. No, it's a God incidence. These feasts line up perfectly with the coming of the Messiah and the establishment of the church. The first spring feast is the Passover. It is celebrated on the 14th day of the first month called Nisan, or Nisan, N-I-S-A-M. This feast is celebrated to remember the first Passover when the angel of death passed over the homes, those homes that had the blood of the sacrificial lamb on the lintel and on the doorpost. The obvious New Testament correlation is that Jesus is our Passover lamb. Jesus was that acceptable lamb of God that we just celebrated this morning. As John the Baptist said in John 1, 29, that next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Guys, we're approaching 8 billion people on this earth. All 8 billion people have been forgiven. Think about that. All 8 billion people have been forgiven. Only a few will appropriate that forgiveness. Only a few will say, yes, Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. A majority will live out their lives trying to be good, trying to pray more, trying to give money, trying to knock on doors, trying to do all those religious things so that God will love them. God already loves them. So we, as ambassadors for Christ, need to take the truth to them that God loves them, guys. God already loves them. Just accept Jesus as your Savior. The second feast is celebrated on the 15th day, so the following day of the month of Nisan. This feast is called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. When the Israelites left Egypt, it was in such a haste that they didn't have time to place leaven in the bread and wait for it to rise. So they ate unleavened bread for seven days to remind them of their bondage and hasty exit out of Egypt. Leaven is often symbolic of sin, error, or evil in the scriptures. You see, when we die... Our bodies go back to the dust of this earth because we, of our sinful flesh that we were born into. But the Messiah, but the Messiah was not going to go through this process of decay. You see, Psalm 16 says this, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, hell, Guyana, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Jesus' body did not decay. So this feast speaks of our Lord's body after his death on the cross. His body did not decay nor deteriorate in the grave because there was no leaven or sin found within our Lord and Savior. The third feast is celebrated on the 16th day. So now, next day. Boom, boom, boom. This feast is called the Feast of First Fruits. The spring brought the start of the barley harvest that had been planted in winter. It was a feast of thanks where the Israelites would bring a sheaf You've kind of seen those pictures of an open field and they gather things together and they bind it and there's this big round thing with the stalks sticking it. That's a sheaf. They would bring part of a sheaf to the priest and they would wave it before God and celebrate the harvest. God was the provider 
and this feast acknowledge that fact. The last of the spring feast is 50 days from this feast of first fruits and is called the Feast of Weeks. The people would number seven Sabbaths or seven sevens. And then on the next day, the 50th day or Pentecost, they would celebrate the Feast of Weeks. It was now the wheat harvest. So at this feast, the people would bring two loaves of bread, two loaves of bread with leaven to symbolize the first fruits of the wheat harvest. Those loaves would be waved in a similar fashion as the Feast of First Fruits. I believe that this is a reference to the Jew and Gentile becoming one in the New Testament. This feast was fulfilled when the Holy Spirit came upon the church 50 days after the resurrection. So Paul takes the Corinthians back to the various feasts that have been celebrated for hundreds of years and shows them, that's why we need to read all of the Bible, the fulfillment of the feast of first fruits through the resurrection. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, is the first fruits of all those who will die in the Christian faith. Verses 21, 22. For since by one man came death, we can all thank Adam, by man, notice capital M, so referencing Jesus, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. One man sinned, Adam. Some people say, well, you know, it's not fair. If we would have been there, we wouldn't have done that. Yes, you would have. Yes, you would have. You would have also denied the Lord on the night that he was arrested. We all would have done that. We didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. They didn't either. Once the Holy Spirit came on them and in them, they turned the world right side up and they died for their faith. It's all about the Holy Spirit. So because of Adam's disobedience, all of humanity suffers in this world of sin. Yet Jesus came to deliver all of humanity from Adam's choice. Anyone who looks to Jesus for salvation will spend eternity with him. And that's what, us, that's what we're to do as ambassadors for Christ throughout the week. Plant, water, fertilize. Jesus is the first fruits of all those found within the church. There's only one way into this world, a physical birth, and there is only one way into heaven, a spiritual birth. John three sixteen. you must be born again. Decades ago, there was a bumper sticker, and I, this was also on a t-shirt, but born once, die twice. You're going to die physically, and at the great right throne judgment, as an unbeliever, you will spiritually die again. Perish, eternal separation from God. Born twice, you're physically born, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must become born again. You must, not an option. You must be born again. Spiritual rebirth, you'll only die once, a physical death. So again, if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, the choice is yours, but the word of God will be fulfilled. Verse 23, but each one in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. And we'll get back into this, uh, we'll get further into this next week. So study ahead of the rest of the chapter. I'm going to throw something at you that's not common, but uh, makes really good sense to me. God is a God of order, and Jesus had the first fruits from the grave. Now we know that there are those who are raised from the dead in order to just die once more. I'm sure some people come to your mind. A few examples are Jesus brought the young man from name back to life. Remember, he was uh, going into a city, and there was a group of people coming out of the city, as well as the family, and he stopped the casket, touched the body, 
the young man rose from the dead. Did he die later? Yes. 10 out of 10 people, still amazing. 10 out of 10 people still die. Lazarus, enjoying Abraham's bosom, got sucked back to this life. What a bummer. The prophet Elijah brought a young lad back to life in Zarephath. But Jesus was the only example of one who rose from the grave to never taste death again. And there's only two people that have not tasted death, Enoch and Elijah. I think those are the two prophets in Revelation, but wouldn't argue that. He was the first fruits from the dead, and now every Bible-believing Christian will follow, as we will see next week, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. Romans chapter 13, guys, we need to pray for our rulers. National, international, state, local. It's our calling as ambassadors for Christ to pray for all of our officials, that God would give them wisdom and discernment, that they would come to know Jesus as their Savior because their power is nothing, nothing compared to Jesus. The last great battle, if you're new or visiting, we believe in we're in the age of grace. Uh, then there's going to be the rapture of the church where the church will be taken out. Then there'll be the seven great years of tribulation. All seven will be great tribulation. Then there'll be, uh, Jesus will return, physically return to this earth, step foot on this earth again, will rule and reign with all of us for a thousand years. And then there'll be the great white throne judgment. And then there'll be the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. So you can find that in your Bible. So as we look at verses 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom. The he here again is Jesus, the kingdom of God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. So the him, he here is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Then the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Because remember, during the thousand-year reign of Christ, at the very beginning, everyone is a believer, at the very, very beginning, every single human that survives the Great Tribulation will be a believer. Separation of the sheets and the goats. Unbelievers will be judged and they'll be executed. Only believers. But through that thousand years, they have free will. They're going to be those who are going to rebel against God. Hard to believe, but it's the way it is. Read your scriptures. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. There will no longer be any more death at that point. Praise God. The Lord's kingdom will be handed over to the Father, for there will be no more authority upon this earth. It is after this period of time that God will establish, as I've already mentioned, a new heaven and a new earth. No more death, no more pain. Praise God. No more suffering, no more sorrow. Verses 27 and 28. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, so when the Father says about Jesus, it is evident that he, God, the Father, who put all things under Jesus, him, is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, to Jesus, then the Son himself will also subject to him, God, the Father, who put all things under Jesus, that God may be all in all. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. 
16 through 18. This is where we see that Jesus is over all. He is preeminent. That's why he was the first to rise from the grave. He has to have preeminence in everything. Colossians 1, 16 through 18. If you're new or visiting, please have a paper Bible. If they can lock financial accounts, they can lock your internet account. If you're relying on the internet to get your Bible, not a good idea. If you're relying on your phone, not a good idea. They can turn your phone off remotely. It's not a conspiracy. It's a fact. I think you all have known it. You've probably witnessed it. It's happened, and we don't even have really fancy phones. We just have regular phones, and um, Claudia was talking about something, just in general, just talking about something, and the next day, it was amazing, the next day, ads started coming up about what she was talking about. Huh, no way. That's not a conspiracy. That's reality. That's reality. So they can turn your phone off, so you better know your Bible. Colossians 1.16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And the hymn here is all about Jesus. As you read the whole chapter and you put it all in context, you will see that this is all in reference to Jesus. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Uh, The Bible says in Psalm 139 that he knows the number of our days. Um, Daniel says that uh, he holds our very breath. Nobody gets out of here early. Nobody gets out of here late. You get out right on time, guys. Right on time. Very, very important. And, verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. So for you males, females, he is to be our head, which means we are to submit to him And submit to one another. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. You see, God is never seen under the authority of Jesus in the scriptures. But Jesus willingly submits himself to God the Father. And after his millennial reign, he will place all things back into their proper order under the control of our heavenly Father. What a blessed day that's going to be. No more voting. No more debates. No more of this nonsense. Thank God for Jesus. Father, we thank you and praise you for the morning. We thank you for all that you're doing in our midst. And Lord, we live in a world that is really hurting. Yes, it's obvious in Ukraine, in Russia. And there are these pieces, these snapshots that come onto our screens, into our minds. And they're so grieving, so grieving. And it's so obvious that there's injustice being done. But Lord, there's people in our workplaces that are contemplating suicide. They see inflation going up and they're not not sure how they're going to make ends meet. Father, there are hundreds of thousands into the millions of homeless and the number is growing. Jesus said, the poor you'll have with you always. But how many of these homeless 
are there by choice. Our society is crumbling without the word, without prayer, without Bible-believing Christians. It's going to get way worse. So Lord, while we have these few moments in time, whatever you allow us to have the next few years, help us to be ready to give every person an answer for the hope, the living hope that we have in the resurrection. Our hope is not in the Republican Party. Our hope is not in the Democrat Party. Our hope is not in any party, any affiliation. Our hope is not in Calvary Chapel. Our living hope is in the Word of God. And you will fulfill all of your promises. And you will fulfill all of the predictions. So Lord, give us wisdom as we see Russia on the march. Could this be the battle in Ezekiel spoken of where Russia eventually comes against Israel? Even though it seems like there's a, a friendly relationship, we know your word's going to be fulfilled. We know there's going to be a hook that draws Russia down and they are going to attack Israel. Could that be around the corner? All the signs are there. So Lord, help us to lift our eyes to heaven and keep our eyes in heaven. For the stock market will fail us. <laughs> Social security will fail us. Relying upon the government will definitely fail us. You will never fail. Even as we sang earlier, if we had nothing, if we had absolutely nothing, how many of Christian, how many believers are fleeing the Ukraine with a piece of luggage and their belongings in their luggage. Father, if we have nothing, we still have you. We still have you. We're still going to heaven. At the end of it, we're, we're still going to heaven for all of eternity. Never be separated ever again. So Lord, help us to continually look up that will expose the living hope to those who are losing all hope, turning to drugs, turning to alcohol, turning to prescription drugs, turning to pornography, turning to suicide, anything to try to find comfort of their soul, which we know never comforts. It's as your word says, it's a fire that always needs fuel. So Father, give us wisdom this week as we go forth into our workplace, our neighborhoods, our families. We want to be used of you, Lord. We want to store up treasure in heaven. So give us wisdom, give us discernment. It's all for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, we all stand. Thanks for coming out, guys. If you need prayer for anything, if you need to receive Jesus as your Savior, please don't wait. I don't think you're going to see this offer made at any political campaign. It's just going to be more lies about promise this, promise this, promise that. I promise you've received Jesus as your Savior that you're going to go to heaven because the Word of God says that promise based on the word of God, not me. Receive Jesus. If you need prayer for anything, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.